Today, um, I don't really have um, a title for my message other than it's like in his family or the way that the father sees. Um, this week, I uh, over the last two weeks, um, my name's Glenn, by the way, I'm one of the pastors here, and actually, I'm going to be the past, like the the main pastor next year in about March, so yeah, that's going to be exciting and all that, so that's really cool. Um, so over the last couple of weeks, uh, our vehicles have been going through that time of Warren of Fitness. Yeah, yeah. Don't you love those times? It just happens that both of our, our, our guys, our vehicles, are in synergy, so they both come around at the same time. And, and uh, we had to, you know, spend quite a bit of money on one particularly, and and my, uh, the big horn that I had, it failed its warrant of fitness oh, because of a small chip right in the center of the windscreen. And oh, I was very sad. I was like, oh, inconvenience. And uh, so I had to, I connected with Smith & Smith and their insurance company. And we, um, I took the, took the vehicle around there and, and uh, they repaired it and, and did a, a pretty good job of it. And as I was leaving, uh, the, the repairman, he points out to me, he said, hey, look, you know, you had failed this warrant. You should have failed this warrant of fitness actually based on the amount of rubber that you actually have on the windscreen wiper here because the whole little bit had gone. And I hadn't realized because um, I don't sit in the passenger seat, but probably every time I was driving, Debbie was like, I cannot see when it's raining. But I didn't notice this, so he was like, hey, how about we can, we can replace this for 20 bucks? And for some reason, I said, no, I'll do it myself. I can go to Repco and uh, get a part, and it's going to be cheaper than 20 bucks. And it's like, oh, man, I don't even know why I thought that. But I, so I, um, I went home, and I was going home, and I was like, that's right, I've got another windscreen wiper at home. It must be God. So I went to, um, I'm going somewhere with this, so... Uh, I, I, I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'll do it myself. I, I pulled the thing off, uh, and I started to fit the new one, or the other one, back on, and it just wouldn't fit, and there's a little key plastic uh, black thing that kind of hooks the whole lot together, and I was like, Arr! and when I was doing this, the little bit of plastic went, boo, and into the bushes, and there was a lot of weeds there, so I got down on my hands and knees, and I'm just... Uh, just looking around and I'm pulling weeds out trying to and it's also near the wood pile so I started looking through wood and I, and I just like spent about 10 minutes on my hands and knees and I was like oh I gave up I was like, oh, this sucks not cool and so I just kind of calmly resolved that it was going to be okay you know what it's like when you're just trying to get something done and you can't do it I was like no I'm going to just you know this is all good I'm going to have a few days without a windscreen wiper that's not a big deal so I, um, I went to gently just, you know how the arms stick out of the window? I went to gently just kind of rest that back against the window. Somehow I knocked it and it went whack against the window, chipping it and creating a big crack up the window. That's <laughs> my futility. This is awful. So what started as a little chip became a huge crack and I've got to go down and get the whole windscreen replaced now. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know the guys are going to be there. Because he was like, you sure you don't want me to replace it? It's like, not much. And I'm like, no, I'll be fine. And I'm sure I'm going to get a good eye roll. But even the lady at AMI, when I rung up, she's like, do you want to go somewhere else? Because that's just embarrassing. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, no, actually, I'd like to make their day. They can, they can talk about this at Smoker. Yeah. You know, um, the point, there's a point, yeah, the point of, you know, the repairs uh, that we do on our car at Warren of Fitness time, uh, 
is to keep our cars safe and roadworthy. There's a standard that they deem so that we can drive on a road, we can go on a journey and you know the wheel's not going to fall off. If it rains, the windscreen wipers are going to work. If there's a crack or a chip in the vision, it's not going to be obscured and, and potentially cause an accident because we can't through, see through the window. So there's actually a point to having a warrant of fitness. Did you know that? That's, that's, and that's my message today. Get a warrant of fitness, that's right. And particularly, like I looked at this chip in the windscreen, which is, that's really not a big deal. But they say, you know, the clarity that you have through your windscreen, that is a priority. Like if you can't see where you're going, you are in trouble. You know, and especially if there's other conditions around when you're driving, it's raining, it's dark, it's foggy, whatever. That's like you're, to have a clear vision out of that windscreen, you've got to have it. So eliminate every possible risk of, of an accident. So that's what the Warren of Fitness is about. And um, I want to look into the life of Jesus uh, today. And when we look into his life, we see that he prioritized having a clear vision. It was just such a big deal for him. He knew where he was going. And this standard of clarity that he had, he was like, I've got to see. I've got to see. That kept him in step with the Father's heart. It kept him in step with compassion. It kept him in step with power. It kept him in step with where God was taking him in his journey in life. He had to have a standard, and he had to see clearly. He saw a clear thing. And so if you've got a Bible with you today, we're going to jump to John 5. It's just a small verse in here. And I'll just set the scene as you're doing that. But this is what happened. Jesus, it's a Sabbath. It's a holy day. Jesus uh, goes to the pool of Bethsaida, surrounded with crippled people. And he sees one guy in the midst of it. There's a lot of sick people. But he sees this one man, and he, the guy has been crippled for eight years, and he can't get off his mat. Jesus heals him, says, get up, take up your mat, and off you go. Have a great life. Go and get KFC for lunch. Do something. Just, just be free. Be healed. Be well. And so, and as usual, there's, the Jewish leaders are like watching Jesus. They're like, what's he doing? He's offending me. Everything he's doing is offensive. And so they get upset. Firstly, they see the guy carrying his mat on a Sabbath. And you're not actually allowed to do any work. So they're offended first up with this guy carrying his mat. And they're like, what the heck? Why are you carrying your mat? That's just against the rules. I don't care the fact that you got healed. You're carrying your mat. <laughs> Crazy. And then, they, um, then they're like, how did this happen? And he points to Jesus. And they're like, what? Jesus healed on a Sunday? It's a work thing. You know, we just don't do work on Sunday. So, you know, I just didn't see it for what it was. It was an amazing miracle. It was an incredible miracle. And these guys were religious people. Do you know what religion does? Religion distorts the clarity. It distorts the perspective. It distorts the heartbeat of God for becoming real in our lives. Religion says the standard that you need must be earned. The standard that you have to have in your life, the standard of love, the standard of grace, the standard of freedom, you know, that is attainable, but you've got to do something about it. And so these Jewish guys, they were offended because what they were doing what, what they deemed as what was right to attain freedom, Jesus was just totally saying, no, this is not the standard I have. I look up. 
I look up. That's my standard. So in John 5, 19, Jesus says this as his response. He says, the son can do nothing by himself. Nothing. This is Jesus. Fully God, fully man. Jesus can do nothing by himself. The son can do nothing by himself. He only, he does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. See, Jesus' standard, his standard in life was to respond just as the father was responding. That's how he limited himself. He said, I can't do anything. I'm just like one of you without seeing what the father is doing. The vision that he had was of the same clarity that the father saw. It was a clear, clear vision. And so he, he was dependent on actually seeing what the father was doing. He was dependent. He was like, I must, I must be in synergy. I must be in sync. I must know about it. I know, I've, got to, I've got to do it. I've got to see what my dad's doing. And so the father's standard became Jesus' standard. And I want to say today that pursuing, that we, we can do what Jesus has done. Now, we have the mind of Christ. He said that we'd do greater things. And I want to propose to you that we're not going to do anything much without raising our standard to the vision of the Father. That we're not going to actually, we're not going to be in synergy with the Father. We're actually not going to be able to achieve know his love, no depth to our lives unless we're looking to the Father. So we just want to talk a little bit about that. And I just I also want to say that this doesn't mean that you have to ask God about every single detail in your life on the journey, like, what do I need to wear today, Father? No. Oh, I ran out of petrol because I didn't see the Father filling up with gas. You know, it's not the details aren't so important. It's, it's about setting our life course. It's about where are we going in life and where is God taking us in life. It's about clearing the decks and saying, what's most important? I need to create space for the Father. He's still, we've still got a free will that's operating here. So it's about us prioritizing our course with the Father's vision for our lives. Let's just pray. Thank you, Father. We thank you that you are a good dad, that you raise amazing kids that you produce amazing sons and daughters, Lord, and we are some of them. We're incredible, Lord, and we just thank you today that you have got a clear vision for our lives, you've got a heart for us, and you want us to see what you're doing. And we open our hearts today to your vision, for your love, for your goodness in our lives. In your awesome name, amen. Yeah. Our connection with the Father cannot be substituted by anything else in life. There's no substitute for the Father's connection. He, like, it's so easy to let distractions substitute God's best for our lives, especially in the Western culture. Like, he, you can't substitute him. You can't substitute the fulfillment. You can't substitute the love. You can't substitute the healing. You can't substitute his best for our life. So Luke 19, we've got this here up on um, the projector today. We're just going to read this story and look at Jesus and the way that he rocked into a town and tore it up because 
he was looking to the Father. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the, the, the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Awesome, eh? Redemption right there. And I want to propose to you today that when Jesus saw Zacchaeus in his tree, he looked at him through the lens of his father. He looked at him through the lens of his father. See, the father's lens is a lens of hope. It's a lens of love. It's, it's the lens of who he is. It's a lens of his nature. It's a lens of his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. The father's lens is a lens of hope. It was a great lens. And I just want to go through today. Who was seeing what that day? See, Jesus walks into the town and he sees Zacchaeus. He sees probably in his natural eyes, someone who's toughing it out in life at first. He's wealthy by his standard of dress. He's like, whoa, check out those robes. But why are you up a tree? Why are you isolated? Why couldn't you ask someone just to move out of the way so you could come to the front of the crowd? And he could see that he was shunned and excluded from the community. But what Jesus saw was more than an insecure man. He saw that this guy was an awesome guy to get close to. He was like, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. I must be there. I want to just hang out with you. I want to make time with you. I can see something about you that I just want to get close to. You're an awesome, awesome guy. See, the Father sees potential in us, doesn't he? He sees potential in people in our community. He sees the golden lives. He sees the best in people. He just like, I just can't get enough of people. I love people. I created them because I love them and I want to get close to them. He just goes on and he just sees the best. He's just seeing the best. And Jesus just saw the best because the Father was seeing the best. What was the crowd seeing? What was the crowd seeing that day? What did they see? How were they looking? It says in verse 7, all the people saw this. This was Jesus and Zacchaeus' connection. And they began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I don't know, what is a mutter like? They were muttering anyway. They were just like, this is a muttering matter. This is not how I would do life. This is like, this is not cool. This is a muttering moment. I'm just, they, see what they saw though, is that they saw Jesus get close to ugliness. They saw Jesus was about to take a hit because of the company that he was about to keep. They saw, man, man, if Jesus gets close to that guy, that's gonna, a bit of that is going to rub off on Jesus, and Jesus is not going to be as good as I thought he was. See, they were threatened by Zacchaeus. The crowd was threatened by Zacchaeus. To them, they saw that their dignity, that their righteousness was protected by keeping their distance and disassociating themselves from him. And they were offended 
with Jesus' grace response to Zacchaeus. Their vision only came from the perspective of themselves. They were not looking with the eyes of the heart of the Father. It was an insular vision, and, and it was driven by fear. They were like, ooh, I'm scared. If, he, if I get close, people are going to think that I'm like a loser and whatever. That's not cool. Anything driven by fear has self-preservation as its primary objective. It's like they had a self-preservation mindset, didn't they? They were just like, I've just got to preserve what I've got. And that is not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is a big heart, isn't it? See, the crowd saw an offense taking place. That is what the crowd saw. They saw an offense. See, grace offends the religious spirit. Religion looks to stay clean, as I've said, by creating distance from brokenness. How about Zach? What did Zacchaeus see that day before Jesus even came up? See, he had seen wealth as his security. He was a rich man. He'd probably seen himself as an outsider, you know, at best case scenario. Maybe worst case, he was like a reject. I'm a reject? Like, no one wants to be around me. I'm like shunned. And uh, he'd seen life from the perspective of a short guy. He was small. He had to climb a tree. His vision wasn't awesome, was it? But suddenly, what happens? Jesus starts telling him something about himself from a totally different perspective. A totally different perspective. I remember when I was a kid, Dad made me this really awesome periscope. It was so cool. It was out of a pit of uh, pipe. You know how submarines use periscopes? Okay, so this was... I didn't go in the water with it. Yeah, yeah, so... (laughs) It had a mirror on the bottom and a mirror on the top, and it was about two meters tall. And I used to be able to, like, peer over fences and around corners, and it was like, when we were playing war games, it was awesome. You could see the neighbors doing, and it was just like a great, awesome tool to get another perspective, like to see a little bit higher and go, uh-huh, I can see, you can't see me. <laughs> it was cool. But the higher the mirror is, you know, in a, in a periscope, the greater vantage point that we have, or that I had um, when I was a kid. And it was really, really cool. I want you to imagine this, that Jesus walks into Jericho. He's on a mission. It says that he was going to walk through the town. He was on his way through. But he walks into Jericho, because, and he's got his periscope. And his periscope is going right up into heaven. He's like looking. He's like, what? I'm coming in. I'm on a mission in life. But what's the Father doing today? What's the Father doing? And so he walks in. And then he sees Zacchaeus in a tree. And he sees the way the Father sees him. And he says, God is crazy about this man. He's absolutely ballistically, I just, he's just got to be blessed. He's got to be loved. He's got to be, he's in a, this guy needs the Father. This guy needs connection. This guy needs to be unrejected from all the rejection that's been around his life. So Jesus just stops where he's going and he blesses him. He heals him emotionally. He just, he gets around him. There's like a party at his place. And Zacchaeus is like, this has never happened in my life. Next minute you see that Zacchaeus is giving all his money away. Not all, but half of it anyway. He's repaying. He's, he's, he's seen something. He's seen something he hadn't seen before. He's seen something new. He's seen life from a different perspective. It's like Jesus said, here, look through this. Look at what you can do. 
look at what you can be. He handed him over the periscope that went into heaven and said, this is the way my father does life. This is the way that you can do life. This is the way that you can live. This is how you can bless. This is the love that you can receive today. And he just started reflecting what he was seeing in heaven. Zacchaeus went from someone who had that insular vision, who had nowhere, but because he was looking, he got handed the, the vision of what his father was doing. He looked through it, and his response was amazing because he saw life from another perspective. What we see is what we reflect, and what we see compels our response in life, doesn't it? If we're seeing ourselves as being victorious or hopeful we just we respond in a different way if we feel uh consumed with fear or we're angry or we're bitter we we don't just feel it we act it we display it and god's saying to us you know through jesus christ that we can now see in life as the father sees and we can be in life as the father is being uh, in our families and in our community isn't that good isn't that awesome and i just want to just quickly um really is just to kind of break open what does it mean to see what our Father is doing. And I don't have all the answers here because it's an easy thing to say. Oh, I just, you know, see in the, what the Father's doing and then do it. And how that, what does that mean uh, for our lives? How can, we, how can we actually implement that? What is God doing in our lives? Seeing what the Father is doing. It's talking about having a spiritual vantage point from life. It's talking about living from the, from the heart. It's talking about living from a spiritual revelation, not a mind revelation, not a practical revelation. It is actually talking about being in touch with a heavenly realm. And that realm is a realm of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's, it's an amazing realm. It's a realm of presence. It's a realm of freedom. And so when we're, when we're connected with the Father, when we're, we're seeing what the Father's doing, we're connecting with a greater realm than what this realm is. We're seeing things, you know, that may look like obstacles in the natural become inferior to, in a spiritual vantage point, you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? When, when you suddenly you're like, all I've got is faith, and that's enough. When, when sickness, you know, comes and intimidates us, you know, when cancer intimidates us, Where's our spiritual, what's our vantage point? Where are we going to live from and what are we going to declare out of? What are we seeing the Father is doing? It's a place of abundance, freedom, and joy. Uh, heaven, you know, you guys know this. It's not just a place that we go to when we die. Jesus said the, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Turn around, repent. That's all it means. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a close place. It's a really, really close place. I know I've used the analogy of a periscope going up, up, up into a high place, but it's actually a close place. It's, a, it's amazingly close. It's a now experience. So how do we take a hold of that realm and, and encounter the Father's love? Um, it, it, and Jesus modeled this. And, and the, the problem with this is that it takes time. That is an immediate problem for us in the Western world, isn't it? It's an immediate roadblock because we say we're so busy. I say I'm too busy. Uh, and, and unless we can say, what is, what is the priority? What is the standard? Is my standard busyness or is my standard presence? You know, if, if we stop at that and say it's busyness, that's a shame. <laughs> it really is a shame because it takes time. We saw Jesus, and I'm preaching to myself. Please don't feel like 
I, I find this easy. Jesus drew aside to be with the Father. He went away and was alone. The, you know, you look at his journey, and he'd always, you know, he'd do some miracles. It'd be amazing. He'd release what the Father's doing. He would draw aside. He would he'd go for that walk in the hills. He'd, you know, he'd go out walking on the lake because he could. You know, he was, he was, he prioritized time, he prioritized time with the Father. That's point number one. Clear the deck of your life. Just like, hey, let's start again. What's a priority today? What? How can I bring back God as a priority? Second, this is this is what works for me. If I go down the river and pray, I know I've got to get myself into position of praising God. And when opposition and fear and all that surrounds you, praising is hard. Thanking is hard, but that's where it is. When we start thanking and praising God, we start aligning ourselves with God's best for our lives. We start agreeing with Him, don't we? That's the key, to agree with his goodness, to agree with his goodness. So the third thing, which is what you can do, is just to listen, to stop. You know, you can praise and pray in tongues and do that. That's awesome. Start writing some things down. Start writing your heart down. Let that prophetic, you know, connection with the kingdom just start resonating in your heart again. Let hope come back. Let his, his voice is not going to be that of, uh, of condemnation. It's going to be that of building up. So three very simple things. Uh, the Bible is full of clues to how the Father sees our world. It says in Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. The Father has given every one of us a name, a place of belonging in his family. Community can be hell for some, but Jesus came to love the hell out of people, didn't he? He came to love the hell out of people. We had that as a theme, I think, at youth uh, last year or the year before, and it was just awesome, you know, just to like, Jesus came to love the hell out of people. No matter what hell surrounds us at the time, Jesus' mandate is to just kick it out and say, no, there's only room for the presence here, not hell. John 14, 2, it says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Jesus said this to his disciples before he went to the cross. And because he'd seen something in my father's house, there are many. He'd seen every single unique place for every person, you know, for his disciples. I guess he's talking to. He'd seen the place prepared for them. And I don't think this is just about when they die. This is about the place that they were going to sit in and fulfill in in their journey on earth. That they had a room and a situation to occupy, and it was a favoured place. It was a great place to be. And he'd seen that. That's why he said it. And, and as Chris said today, this morning, the Father has got a place of victory prepared for us. Jeremiah 29, you know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And, and I want to say that when I had this revelation when I was praying for someone in the last couple of weeks was that when, when um, obstacles come around us and where, you know, sickness may challenge us, that that does not stop the plans of God. He doesn't, doesn't surprise him and say, I'm changing the plans for you now. His plans are greater than the devil's plans for our lives, than, you know, than sickness, disease, you know, fear. That stuff that wants to oppress us, his plans are always greater than our current circumstances if they're oppressing our lives. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Jesus went to the cross so that every one of us can occupy our place of blessing and provision. Just want to say um, in closing that as as a church family, we have got such a powerful. Uh, 
position, being sons and daughters of the king. You have got a powerful position. You're, you're not in a... Uh, uh, even if you're feeling overwhelmed today or challenged around you, I want to be the one that says that God is greater than your current circumstance. That's what the Word says. And I want to say that there's hope. And you know, when we take a hold of what the Father's seeing and doing in our lives, what God wants to do through this church is just awesome. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. And not just this church. The church is the world. You know, the, the, the other incredible churches in this town and, and in Canterbury, God just has got incredible plans. But it starts with us, doesn't it? It starts with us. It doesn't just start with like, yeah, man, I wish that the staff would get things sorted out at Thrive because then it would be more awesome. My spiritual life would be greater. <laughs> no, it starts with the one. It starts with us going, Father, what are you doing? How can, how can I see you? How can I take time in my life? What are you speaking to me today? That's cool. All right, let's just um, let's stand. Let's stand as a church. Let's just stand. And as we stand, let's stand into that revelation that God has for us. He's got revelation today for our lives. And he wants to just speak to each one of us over this week about seeing the way that he's seeing, doesn't he? Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pray today. Ah, Lord, we just, we thank you that you are, you're our hope. <laughs> we declare that today, again, that you're our hope. Lord, your word and your vision for our lives is our hope. We thank you, Jesus, that you became a gateway for us when you surrendered your life on the cross. Laid it down, Lord, that we would be counted righteousness, that we would be counted as your sons and daughters. Today, we just thank you, Lord, that we partner with your dream to liberate this planet, our lives, our families, our communities, Lord, our, our workplace, God. We open up our hearts to you. Speak to us. Show us in this moment. What are you doing? What are you saying? What's the word for us, Lord, to take a hold of?